Ephesians chapter 5. I got so much stuff going on up here this morning. Ephesians chapter 5. Let's work on this. Beginning at verse 22. Good morning, by the way. Here we go. January. This is not the first Sunday, but this is the first official Sunday because everybody kind of took last Sunday off. We prayed for you sinners then, but no. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Uh, Sonny, Sonny never forgets to call me at least three times a week to pray with me. And I, you don't know how much I appreciate that, brother. Thank you. Beginning in verse 22, and I know he does a lot of the others here too. That's his ministry. How important. 522, we're going to read down through 28, I believe. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to these words this morning, these words are hated by our culture. We understand that. Uh, but we're going to see this morning that they're so necessary that we learn and live them. It's not archaic. It's not for some other time. These promises and this word that you give us are for today. They're for the young people that are here that are yet to be married, to understand what marriage is, and therefore the people uh, more seasoned here to understand what marriage is and should be in our goal as we work towards it all of our lives. Let us see it as such. Let us see us, uh, ourselves, and our marriages, and what you're doing in those marriages as you bringing your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Let us see it as a fruitful, flourishing life that you've called it to be. Father, thank you. Go above and beyond my simple words this morning and through the power of the Holy Spirit, speak to your people, encourage your people, fill your people, Father, so that they may live a life pleasing to you, that they would be fruitful and that they would receive the human flourishing that comes from being obedient to all that you've called us to do. Father, thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So this passage, uh, you heard me say it in my prayer, but this passage of Scripture, part, especially the part there in verse 22, where it says, Wives, submit to your husbands. Our culture hates this truth. Our culture hates this truth. And there's three things I want to get to this morning. And I, I think this will be kind of a little series. We'll see what the Lord lays on my heart this week. I, we'll, we'll go further into covenant marriage because there's so much to understand. There's so many practical things that flow 
from these verses here this morning. We'll work on them a little bit this morning, but there's not enough time in one morning uh, to do the, all of that we want to do in this passage. This passage is so important. But as I've named it, uh, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Do you guys remember the model prayer that Jesus taught? Can you say it with me? It, a lot of people believe it's just to be for Catholics. It's not. It's actually in the Bible. I know that may surprise some of you here this morning. But he taught us to pray like this. He said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stop right there. It's to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, what the obedience and the worship and the, 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 the praise that's going on in heaven this morning is to be recreated and done here on earth, right? Isn't that what that's saying? I want people to follow your rules like, you, like they follow them in heaven, they're on earth like they do in heaven. I want people to understand that your commandments and your statutes are good for the people in heaven, but they're good for the people on earth. They've caused flourishing that brought those folks to heaven, and they will cause flourishing that brings you to a place of joy and fruitfulness in your life and human flourishing. So we've got this kind of second name called fruitful flourishing because what I want to do is connect this covenant marriage understanding. I'll give you a little exegesis this morning, not a lot, but I want to connect it to the big picture of what God's doing in the world. You okay with that? All right. I want to show you how it creates his kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. Because that's what God is doing to you if you are a Christian here this morning. Remember what Bob Inc. says? God the Father created. The essence of Christianity is this. Bob Inc. says this in this particular manner. But all of the reformers say it and the Bible teaches it. You've heard me say over and over that uh, grace restores uh, nature. And that is... Uh, distinct and a smaller statement that says exactly what Bob Inc. is saying here. And I'll read it word for word for you. He says, the essence of the Christian religion consists in this. And a lot of people make the Christian religion to be a lot of things. But he's saying the essence is this, that the creation of the Father devastated by sin is restored in the death of the Son of God and recreated by the Holy Spirit into a kingdom of God. Let me read that one more time. The essence of the Christian religion consists in this, that the creation of the Father devastated by sin is restored in the death of the Son of God and recreated by the Holy Spirit into a kingdom of God. Is that true? It is true. Grace restores nature. That is, the grace that we receive in Jesus Christ is giving us the ability to go back to what God intended us to be in the original creation. There's just one caveat. Glorification necessitates there won't be the ability to sin. So not only are we going back to the relationships and the understanding that Adam had with God, but we're going back to the relationships that Adam had with Eve and the rest of creation. Okay? That's what God is doing in you. God created everything, and what did he call it? Genesis 1.31, he said it's good, it's very good. There wasn't any sin yet. So then he created Adam and Eve, right? And he put Adam there in the garden and he put Adam asleep and he took Eve out of his side. And Adam was just ecstatic when he saw Eve and he said, oh my gosh, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Woman, whoop, get over here, girl. 
to put it in the words of Odie Bauckham, this is woman. All right? It was great joy. And then immediately the marriage took place because Adam and Eve were given a command to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill and subdue the earth and have dominion over it. And how were they to do that? Well, to be fruitful and multiply meant to have a lot of kids. Okay? And this is specifically a challenge. Anybody that's here that's 35 or younger this morning, have a lot of kids. Come on. Have a lot of kids. Think about this. If each person here under 35 had five children, what this church would look like in 10 years, it would be no different because you would grow them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And growing up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, what would they want to do? <laughs> Have more kids. Be fruitful, multiply, fill, and subdue the earth. And God's saying the way that that works here. Now, listen. I know there's a great group of us that have, that have had some problem with marriage. And that's where I'm headed, okay? Because is, the command of, is our mistake stop the command of God to be fruitful, multiply, and fill and subdue the earth? No. God gave us Jesus so that we could be redeemed. Whatever mistakes we've made have been buried and put down there on the cross. And we can begin to live our lives, even if it's late in our lives, just like the scripture calls for. So it says here this morning, be fruitful, multiply, and, uh, or excuse me, verse 22, that's where I want to go. We'll get to Genesis in a minute. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, just like the church should submit to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And I know, listen, the reason culture hates this is because more than one man's made a mistake with his wife. And it's that phony whataboutism that makes this, you know, feminism's quick retort here is what about? What about a man who's been abusive? What about a man who asked her to sin? What about a man who's a lazy bum? What about a man who blah, blah, blah? What about a man that does this? What about a man? Right, we've all given good examples of what shouldn't be done, but does that make certain that what should be done should not be done anymore? No, that doesn't, because some men have made mistake in being a husband. Does that make God's plan any less effect? And obviously the answer to that is no. That's why this one passage stands as such a stark reminder that it is those who are willing to follow God's commands here that have chosen sides and understand that this is spiritual warfare that we're fighting in our culture and in our world today. All right, Because if you're the culture, the devil began to attack from the very beginning marriage. right? He began to attack that in such a way, he went after Eve. Who was supposed to protect Eve? He got right in the middle of that marriage and started to separate the male and the female. And then as sin came into the world and Adam said back to God, the woman you gave me, it's her fault. In other words, it's your fault for giving her to me, but it's her fault for eating and it's her fault for giving it to me. So it's her fault. I don't take any responsibility here. I'm not to blame. You did it. <laughs> Can you see Satan's work in there? So every time a young person looks at this and goes, well, maybe there is something to this. If God wants me to live this way, this may have been written years ago, but there is blessing in what God has given you to live. I can tell you that from experience. 
from the experience of doing it wrong and then doing it right, right? From the experience of being like the world and saying that this is just old news, this is the way it used to be, this is something that my grandparents and great-grandparents practiced, but not today. Today's a modern age. It's not for today, but it is. That's the choice that Satan wants you to make, and that's why it's such a spiritual battle. Because you have Satan over here going, marriage really doesn't matter. And you have God over here saying, marriage is the central part of my plan for you here in this place. You see that? You have Satan going, you know, men and women are basically equal. Egalitarianism is such a lie. Women can't do the things that men can do, and men can't do the things that women can do. We'll never be equal the way that, that the world wants us to be equal in egalitarianism. We've been made different and unique for a reason so that we can live out this life. So that women can submit to their husbands, their good, godly, loving husbands, who love them like Christ loved the church. And in that plan, we will flourish and be fruitful and multiply and fill and subdue the earth. There is no doubt in my mind about that. We've seen that in the West. As the West started, the West became exactly what God intended it to be because people took that seriously. And that's not the reason we want to do it. The reason we want to do it is because God has called us to it. God has made it something that is fruitful and multiplying. And this is such an act of faith. I equate a woman submitting to her husband, understanding the Lord in such a way that this equals the exemplar fact of, 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 of Abraham's faith taking his son up the side of Mount Moriah. That was a huge step of faith for Abraham because what did God promise through Abraham? God promised that all of the nations would be blessed through his seed. That was through Isaac. And then God asked Abraham to take Isaac up Mount Moriah and sacrifice him there. Well, those two things don't fit, beloved. If this, all of the blessings supposed to come through this son, yet you want me to take him up the hill and sacrifice him to you, how does that work out? So when a woman chooses to live by the plan and will of God to submit to her own husband as to the Lord, I see it no less as an act of faith. She is choosing to go against all of culture today. She is choosing to go against what everybody says is archaic. How many people in our culture today point to 522 and 23 and 24 and say, that's how I want to be a wife to my husband someday? They're few and far between today because the culture teaches something totally different. How many men say, I want to find a good godly woman like that and give her all of my life and all of my love and spend all of my time in sanctifying her and loving her like Christ loved the church? No, the emphasis is on have as many girls as you can, spread this thing out, make it as fun as possible. It's not on monogamy. It's not on faithfulness. It's not on love. But when God says to a wife to submit to her husband, what does that mean? So in the general sense of things, that word submit is very important here. Just before that, he's saying in verse 21 that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then in 5.22, we get it in 6.1 and again in 6.5, he's giving individual treatments of this. He's saying, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, submit to loving your wife like Christ loved the church. Six. One, he says, Christian children, obey your parents, right? Submit to that. And then he says, workers or bondservants, obey your earthly masters. 
So what Paul's laying down here is this word submitting. And in the marriage context, in this context that he's preaching it to us this morning, he's telling a wife, a wife that is uh, by the culture today, and I'm just going to use that as the example because it's so important, that wife, the culture today says you need to go to college, you need to have your own career, you need to have your own desires and your own dreams. Is that not what our culture teaches? Our culture is pushing kids to college at a blinding pace. It's backed off of that a little bit now because a lot of those kids are having their own kids and they're going, oh my gosh, I've got so much debt and I can't use my college degree for what I wanted to and I'm not making the money to pay the debt back. A lot of people are finding that out, right? But what God is asking you to do as a loving wife in, in, a, in covenant marriage is to submit. And that is to submit to the design and plans that your husband's been given. And that may be different for each different husband here. We've got some husbands that are electricians. We've got some that are contractors. We've got some uh, that work in heating and cooling, right? But what it's saying there overall is for the wife to put her efforts into making her husband what he should be. Submit your life over, give it over to what his desires are, to what God's doing in him, and the two of you work together. It's about cooperation, not about competition. Our culture builds in competition between the male and the female, and all that ends up doing is creating conflict between the male and the female. Oh, if you don't think so, become a pastor and set in some of the counseling sessions that I set in. Satan's good at that. He's good at making the wife think that her husband is robbing her of something and the husband think that his wife might be robbing him of something. So we have here three things that I want you to see, the nature and the ground and the extent. Very quickly, I want to go through these. And this is almost directly from Charles Hodge's commentary. Now, Hodge lived in the early 19th century, and this just reads well, and I want, to, I want you to hear it this morning. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as unto the Lord. The general duty of mutual submission includes the specific duty of wives to be subject to their husbands, and this leads the apostle to speak of the relative duties of husbands and wives. So it's a very practical se section that Paul's working on here this morning. And as the marriage relation is analogous to the relationship between Christ and his church, he is thus led to illustrate the one by the other. As the relation is the same, the duties flowing from it are the same. Obedience on part of the wife and love on part of the husband. The apostle teaches the nature, therefore, the ground and the extent of the submitting. As to the nature of it, he says, it's religious. It's as to the Lord. That's what you're doing, wives, whenever you submit and you choose, and that's why I call it a huge act of faith, just like Abraham's faith or just like Rahab's faith when she turned away the spies. It is a great act of faith in believing in a religious principle that God is going to flourish you and give you fruitfulness if you submit to your husband the way the Lord has called you to submit to your husband because it flies in the face of all the culture, Okay? And, of course, there's regulations on this. We never ask a wife to submit to the point where her husband would ask her to sin to, or to ask her not to be obedient to God. Of course there's regulations on that. Paul doesn't say it's a blind submission. It's a loving submission, as you would to your Lord and Savior. But although, verse 23, the obedience of the wife to the husband is of the nature of religious duty, 
because it is determined by religious motives. And believe me, beloved, it is religious because the obedience that we see here from the wife creates the household that creates the flourishing, that creates the obedience to the cultural mandate. Let me say that again. It's the obedience of the wife in a household like this that creates the obedience to the cultural mandate to be fruitful, multiply, and fill and subdue the earth. We're going to find that in Genesis 1 because what does God say? It's not good for man to be alone. Right? Amen, brothers? If you can't say amen as Vody says, you need to say ouch because all the men sitting here know exactly what that passage of Scripture means. It's not good for us to be alone. We tend to wonder. George uh, Gilder writes it this way. He says this in a book called Men and Marriage. The crucial uh, process of civilization is the subordination of male sexual impulses and biology to the long-term horizons of female sexuality in creating civilization. Women transform male lust into love, channel male wanderlust into jobs, homes, and families, link men to specific children, rear children into citizens, change hunters into fathers, divert male willpower into drive to create. Women conceive the future that men tend to flee. They feed the children that men tend to ignore. And George Gilder would go on to say that men's destiny lays through the womb of a woman. Through that offspring, through what God called fruitful flourishing, that destiny and that process takes place. So the ground of the obligation, therefore we see it in verse 23, exists in nature. It is the immensity of the husband, his superiority in those attributes which enable and entitle him to command. He is larger, stronger, bolder, has more of those mental and moral qualities which are required in the leader. This is just as plain from history as that iron is heavier than water. The man, therefore, in this aspect, as qualified and entitled to command, is said to be the image and glory of God. And that's what God's word teaches, that God, that woman, is the image and glory of man. And man is the image and glory of God. And we, being bearing that image of God both equally, work together in that cooperative relationship, the woman submitting to her husband and the husband loving like Christ loved the church, to glorify God in what he gave us to do. And make no mistake about this. This is a religious act. Because when you live like this in a world like we have, you will be different. I uh, just take a moment and tell you about Christ Church in Sedalia. I didn't think about this, and this is going to amaze my wife, I hope. But I, I got to counting while I was taking a shower this morning. We started out uh, with three families and four children. Five children. Five children. Clark and Victoria's three. Um, Stevie had one, and Damon and uh, uh, had Ada. That's five children. Today, the church is 26 people normally, and they've got 11 children. Stevie's had two more, all right? That adds two more. They've had one other couple that brings two more, and that makes 11 children total. One of them's still in the womb due this month, but that child goes to church no differently. So a church of about 25 or 26 people that gathers every Sunday, 11 of those are children. And if that continues over the next five years, do you see the potential there? What you begin to see is what God meant by be fruitful, multiply, fill, and subdue the earth. Because it's through making children 
that God sends his image throughout this world, okay? And it is through understanding this principle that we begin to understand the goodness and fruitfulness in it. And the extent, let's get the extent. We have the nature and the ground. Uh, the nature is that it's religious, that we do it for the Lord. The ground is that man, uh, God gives us the understanding that man is leader. And the extent here is in all things. He says, notwithstanding all here, notwithstanding then is this peculiarity in the relationship of Christ to the church, which has no parallel in relation of wife to the husband. Nevertheless, as the husband is the head of the wife, let the wife be subject to her husband in everything, even as the church is subject to Christ or her head in everything. That's God's good order, beloved. And I know it sounds backwards in our culture today. But let's look at it in the context of the whole thing. Why does God want you to live like that? If, 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 if I ask you, just think about that for a minute. Why does God want you to live as a wife who submits to her husband and as a husband who loves his wife like Christ loves the church? Well, let's get that answer. Let's go to Malachi chapter 2. You know where Malachi is? If you know where Matthew is, Malachi is one book towards the Old Testament. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Go to Malachi chapter 2. Why does God want us to live like that? This one passage tells it specifically in words that, English words that are easy to understand. So he is, uh, let me give you a little context in chapter 2. Malachi is prophesying to the people of Jerusalem because they had gone after their idols. And idolatry worship was just like harlotry for the Old Testament group. Okay, They were cheating on their wife if they were cheating on their God. And God made those two things parallel. If you were cheating on God with an idol, it was just like your wife cheating on you, uh, husband and wife. Okay, It was harlotry. That's what it was. So he's saying these things, and he's warning them, and we begin in verse 14. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth. To whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. In other words, the covenant bond here of the husband and wife is unbreakable is what God is saying. Just like the covenant bond between God and his people is unbreakable. We cheat on him, but because of his goodness, he continues to have mercy on us. Men, by the way, even if your wife cheated on you, that's what we're called to be, is to have mercy on them, to love her like she, uh, like Christ loved the church. But verse 15 answers the question that I presented to you. Why does God want us to live like Ephesians 5, through 28? He did not make them one with a portion of spirit in their union, and that is the union of marriage, that in being married to my wife that we cleave together and we become one flesh. And what is the one God seeking? Do you see it there? Somebody say it out loud. Godly offspring. Why does he want you to be faithful to wife? Why does he want you to love your wife? Why does he want your wife to submit to you in all things? Because that is a beautiful illustration of the gospel and it goes into the next generation. Your unfaithfulness to your wife, if you cheat on her and you treat her in a way that's not like what God says here, also goes into your son of the next generation. God wants godly children, so he wants you to treat your wife like a godly wife. You Let me make it simple. 
God wants godly children so that the next generation and then the following generation will be those generations that begin to be fruitful, multiply, to fill, and subdue the earth. I contend to you, God's still working that pattern out even today, even through our mistakes. And if you look around just a little bit, you'll see in the middle of our country and around this world a church movement that is growing, that is centered on these truths. Husbands and wives being faithful to one another, being faithful to the scriptures, and God is blessing. I see it in Christ Church in Sedalia, Missouri, beloved. I see it in the hearts of these young people that are sitting in this auditorium today. God wants you to be faithful to your wife, wants the wife to submit and be faithful to her husband. They want to raise children in, in that environment, which is a totally different environment than what the culture has given us. You're going to teach and train them in a way that they know that God and know that love and know those two different but important aspects of how we act in covenant marriage as male and female. And they're going to grow up in that. And what are they going to want to do? They're going to want to recreate that love and that glory. Go to Genesis with me. This was the plan from the beginning. And it's still the plan today. Our unfaithfulness doesn't make God less faithful. We get into Genesis chapter 1. Quickly here. Verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, chapter 1, Genesis. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Let me just say that this is exactly what God wanted. He created all the heavens and the earth so that we can be fruitful and multiply, so that we can enjoy them, so that we can subdue them and use them to our flourishing, to our good. Now, sin came into the world, and we've made mistakes with that, but that promise is still there. We are still to live in such a manner, to marry in such a way, to have covenant relations with our wife, to have covenant children who grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and live in this place like God called us to live, to be fruitful, multiply, fill, and subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Amen? Okay, let's go back and make that make sense with what Babanik said. Bavink, excuse me. The essence of the Christian religion consists in this, that the creation of the Father, though devastated by sin, is restored in the death of the Son of God and recreated by the Holy Spirit into the kingdom of God. That is, that when you believe in the blood of Jesus Christ and he makes you new, he's recreating you into exactly what God began here in the garden with Adam and Eve. He's recreating your commitment to it. He's recreating your ability to be able to carry it out. He's recreating the ability for you to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And he is recreating the ability for the woman to submit to their husband like he's called them to do in covenant relationship to one another. In short, grace restores nature. Now, you think this is not true? Go through your Bible. I won't do it this morning. I'll just do it from my memory. But God destroyed the earth, didn't he? And what did he tell Noah? Oh, let's just look there. Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 9, excuse me. After the waters subsided and the flood came to the end, chapter 9, verse 1. 
of the book of Genesis. And God blessed Noah and his sons, and what did he say to them? Did it end with the flood? No, be fruitful. Multiply and fill the earth. Well, if they would have said, how are we going to do that, God? God would have said, look at Ephesians. Wasn't written yet, but by covenant union with your wife, the man shall leave the mother and father and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one. And in that oneness, they live and survive together, and they work together, that submitting on mission together with one another to fulfill the great cultural mandate that God had given them. But what is corrupted? Oh, by the way, if you keep going, if you look at God's promises to Abraham, it was to be fruit. I'll make of you a great nation. Your seed is going to become like what? Grains of sand on the seashore and stars in heaven. That was the same thing. Be fruitful, multiply, fill, and And then keep going in Genesis and read what God said to Isaac and read what God said to Jacob, who would become the father of the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And read how uh, Jacob would uh, eventually bless each one of his 12 sons to be fruitful, multiply, and fill, and subdue the earth. That's the plan, beloved. But what has happened? How many of you have made a mistake? I want to ask you to raise your hands or stand up. Because we all have. We've all fallen short of God's perfect plan because sin is in the world. Let's go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, beginning verse 18. Matthew 28, 18. We can't look at God and say it's too late. I've made a mistake. I, I, I thought a lot about this this week. And, and as we come out of our sin and God's making us new, we know what God wants us to do. We look at these, these perfect instances here in Scripture. We look at Ephesians 5, 22 and 23 and 24 and we go, oh man, I wish I would have known that long ago and would have got started out like that. But with the gospel, it's never too late. That's why the gospel and the Great Commission came to be what it was in Matthew 28. Because God still wants to fulfill the mandate of Genesis 1:28. He gave us Matthew 28. Because what Bob Inc. said is true. God created, it was good, it was all very good. But man sinned. So God needed a way to save the world. And what was that way to save the world? Jesus, yes, right? And then getting Jesus, what did you get? Each one of you who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior could only do that because what happened inside of you? You were regenerated. The Holy Spirit came into you and allowed you to repent of your sins and to turn away from them, understand the Word of God, and then begin to be set apart, sanctified, and made holy. That's why we can't look at this promises from God and say, well, I've made a mistake, I'm out. I've made a mistake, God's going to have to do it differently because I made a mistake. That's... Not in God's plan, beloved. That's why the gospel is what the gospel is. That's why the word gospel means good news. That's why it's good news because God is not throwing us away, beloved, but he's recreating us. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He is sanctifying you. He is making you holy. And in making you holy, that means he's setting you apart. What's he setting you apart for? Some day down the road, some glorious day? Yes, indeed. But he's setting you apart today so that you can love your wife like this and that wife, you can serve your husband like this. My marriage has gotten better over 30 years because I've tried to live like this since I've learned it. 
My wife, I hopefully says amen. <laughs> Yours will too. God saves you. And God is regenerating you. He is making you new. And he is carrying out his purpose in this world. Listen to me. If you're 45 and you've made mistakes with marriage, and who hasn't? Take the forgiveness you have in Christ. It's enough. And go 150 miles an hour in the right direction. Uh, the kids call that today full send. Oh, I thought somebody would like that. Yo, you're smiling. Full send! Don't stop. Once you know the promises of God, he wants you to flourish. He wants you to fulfill the cultural mandate. He wants you to experience the love of a husband that loves you like Christ loves the church. And he wants you to experience the goodness of submitting to that husband. That's what, listen to me, that's what Adam saw when he saw Eve. He said, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Oh, woman, right? I'm with Vody full in on that, man. When I heard him say that, it gave me permission to say it. But what he's saying is there's nothing more beautiful in the world than a godly woman who's living or willing to live like that. Now, is she beautiful to the world? No. The world wants a promiscuous woman. The world wants an independent. The world wants a lot of different things than what God wants. But to a godly man who understands the most beautiful thing in the world is what Adam saw when he saw Eve that day. Because he sees everything he needs in her to be everything God's called him to be. That's God's overall plan. That's why we go to Ephesians 5.22 and we say, women, you need to submit to your husbands. And husbands, you need to love your wives like God loved the church. Matthew 28 tells us how we're going to accomplish that. 28, verse 18, Matthew chapter 28, beginning of verse 18. Jesus said, he came to them and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth, we miss that. This is the ground of, of Jesus' command. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'll be with you always, even till the end of the age. That is, in the gospel, we have the ability and the authority from Almighty Christ himself that as we become his disciples to live like he commanded, to teach them, teach them all that I commanded you. In other words, beloved, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. We're still to teach that today, and that is still to be the truth that goes forth into what God has called us to do as a people, to be fruitful, multiply, and fill and subdue the earth, because Christ died so that we could be made new. Amen? So I don't care what age you are here today. I don't care what mistakes you may feel like you have made. God has made the offer in Christ that you can be renewed that you can have the Holy Spirit, that he will renew you from the inside out, that you will be made holy, and in being made holy, you'll be able to live and follow the commands of God. The only thing stopping that 
is your fear of doing it. Is Jesus not enough, beloved? I know your mistakes were huge. And I know the road seems long. But Jesus has led the way. He makes all things new. That includes you. So full sin, people. Full sin on the truth that God is doing that work through us today. Full sin on the fact that we can live as wives submitting to our husbands and we can be husbands that love wives like the church, like Christ loved the church. Full sin. God's forgiven you. You have no excuse. You can lay nothing down that says that I'm not supposed to do these things. Men, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Women, submit to your husbands in all things as to the Lord. Amen? Be fruitful, multiply, fill, and subdue. We're those people. I want you to be encouraged to do that. As I look at the young people this morning, I just want to say to them, have five kids. I know, right? I would make you stand up and come down here and promise, but I can't do that. But if you want to be blessed in this life, listen to what God is teaching in these words. Because that's his promise, not mine. Amen. Gracious Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the hope we have in the gospel that though life has had its ups and downs, that we have uh, sinned our sins. And um, Father, we do. When we come to truth like this, we see the glorious reality of it. And we know in our heart of hearts that this is what you want. That you want a wife that submits to her husband, a husband that loves his wife like Christ loves the church because you want godly offspring. And it's in that godly offspring, each and every one of them, as they grow, they glorify you. They commit to this same pathway because their obedient parents have taught them to. And that magnifies your glory in this place because they're more image bearers of you. Father, as we deal with those truths, let us not stand intrepidly on the sideline. Let us go full send with the truth that you've given us. I know that because we serve you who's created everything, that we don't have to back down from worshiping you. We can't be too obedient. We can't be too zealous for your glory. We just can't. Let us be a people, Father, that go after everything that is true, good, and beautiful. Put away all pragmatism in our life and let us say with one corporate voice that we love and glorify a God who has called us to great things in this life. And let us sense the riches of your joy over our lives through the blessings that come by obedience. My prayer for every young girl that's not married here is that they would pray to you and ask you to show them what it means to be the wife that you've called them to be. As same as my prayer for every young man here who is yet to be married, that he would consider deeply what it means to love his wife and begin to prepare and pray and search the scriptures and the work of the Spirit and to be made new in these things and then to perform them. Oh, Father, my prayer is for those who have gone before who have this intrepidation that you would open their hearts to know that you, that they are completely washed clean in the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Thank you for the hope we have in that, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.